Good morning. Rebecca, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, welcome. welcome everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Maria Svetkova, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Connor Fraser. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. Thank you, Maria. And I really wanted to emphasize that we are doing this show live. So if you're out there and you want to tweet in, uh, just tag us at B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. We're watching our Twitter feed right now. We can ask a live question. So let's get into the issue for today. Are Canadian students being set up for success as adults in a democratic society? A functional democracy requires its citizens to participate fully in collective institutions which serve the public interest and create public value. In this episode, we are looking at the role that civics education plays in creating a healthy, happy society. We believe that a strong civics civics education provides up-and-coming citizens with the relevant knowledge and tool sets necessary for participating respectfully in the democratic process to achieve the social outcomes that they want. Some observers claim that the current civics curricula are inadequate in preparing students for their adult roles as civic participants. And in this episode, we have invited two experts to join us for a conversation about the role of civics civics education in contemporary democracies. Our first guest, Rebecca Rajsak, will speak about the landscape of the modern civics classroom in Ontario and what could be improved from an educator's perspective. Our second speaker, Dimitri Pavlounis, will join at 11.30 to discuss the role of civics education more broadly, how civics education is linked to democratic outcomes, and his work with Civics, which is a nonprofit organization which leads the Popular Students Vote program in civic classroom, civics classrooms across Canada. So our second guest uh, today is Dimitri Pavluni, who is the research director at Civics, which is a Canadian educational charity dedicated to building the skills and habits of active and informed citizenship among youth through experiential learning opportunities. He recently helped lead a large-scale national evaluation of Control-F, a digital literacy program aimed at helping students navigate our polluted information environment. And prior to joining Civics, Dimitri completed his PhD in Media Studies at the University of Michigan and taught numerous courses in Media Studies and Digital Studies at colleges and universities in the United States. Um, so, Dimitri, welcome to the show. Can you hear us okay? I can, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Perfect. Great. Wow. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. It's uh, great to finally speak to you in person after, you know, some email correspondence. <laughs> uh, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. And I understand you're joining us from Fredericton? I am, yes. Okay. What brought you out? What brought you out that way? Uh, good question. Um, a bunch of a, a confluence of different opportunities. Mostly, um, my partner got a job out here, so mm -hmm. I said, oh, uh, "Let's let's move out." And uh, yes, we we're kind of recent uh, Fredericktonians, but are, are loving it so far. So, so to get things kicked off, can you just tell us more about your work with Civics and and like what you love about working with them? 
Sure. Um, so as you said, right, that uh, civics is a, a nonpartisan charity. We are dedicated to building the habits and skills of citizenship among youth under the voting age by creating experiment, experiential learning programs. So our flagship program, as has been mentioned already, is Student Vote, which is a parallel election program uh, that we run during every federal, provincial, municipal election across the country. Um, but we also have programs in financial literacy. We have a program that puts students in contact with elected re representatives. We have a digital literacy program. And we also run a lot of uh, teacher professional development events across the country. So in terms of my own work, um, we are a relatively um, small team. So everybody kind of does a little bit of everything. So I do everything from resource development to workshop delivery. Um, as you mentioned already, I've spent the majority of my time at Civics working on the development of our digital literacy program. Mm -hmm. um, but now I spend most of my time, um, or a lot of my time evaluating our programs and making sure that they are aligned with the best practices in civic education. Um, and, you know, and, and I find that really rewarding work. And I find working at Civics to be really rewarding um, because you do see kind of tangible impacts. Um, and I mean, working with teachers is just the best thing in the world. I mean, you just had Rebecca on and I think you could just see, you know, the excitement that you hear from a passionate teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I, kind of working with those people day in, day out is, is kind of really invigorating and kind of makes you feel that you're contributing to, to a broader cause. And so um, that's, that that's, I think what I enjoy the most about working at civics. If I could ask you, what does, you know, civics education mean to you or what do you see as its purpose? Sure, that's a, that's a good question. It's a question that could probably take up all of the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. But right, so you know, technically, civics is um, you know the study of political processes, the role of government, the rights and responsibilities of citizenship, and you know, we always say the goal of civic education is to equip students with knowledge, skills, values to become informed, engaged citizens in their communities at the local, national, or global level. Right. But um, even more fundamentally, for me, I think that civics education is about. Um, thinking deeply about how we should live together as a public and learning how to engage with democratic systems and processes uh, through which we could create the changes that we want to see. Mm -hmm. Oh, short and sweet. I love it. <laughs> um, what do you, or I guess, what does your research say about how civics education impacts the strength of democracies in terms of either voter turnout or uh, well-being, polarization, Etc. Sure. So, yeah. So I guess this is kind of the magic question, right? That people always mm -hmm. want to know mm -hmm. whether civic education results in a in, in a more active citizen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so first, there's a little bit of bad news, which is that unfortunately, and especially in Canada, there are very few longitudinal studies on civics education. Mm -hmm. um, very little that shows, you know, conclusively that civic education isolated from all other environmental variables causes people to be more active citizens, right? There are so many ways to define what civic engagement means. Um, there are so many reasons that people choose to engage or not, um, that civic education can really only ever be a small part of that broader puzzle. Um, but there is some good news and there is some evidence that at least connects civic education with some positive outcomes. So for example, Elections Canada has found um, that many people who don't vote claim that they lack the knowledge to do so competently. Mm. Um, so voting is, of course, not the only form of political engagement. Uh, lots of people with a great deal of political knowledge will st may still choose not to vote. But the evidence does show that people who feel knowledgeable about current events are more likely to vote. Um, Elections Canada also found that young people who voted were much more likely to say that they learned about politics in high school mm. and that they participated in an election simulation like student vote. Um, 
There's also a mounting body of evidence showing that students who engage in exactly what you were talking about at the end of the last uh, at the last session, who engage in regular classroom discussion around political issues, tend to be more likely to vote, but also more engaged in class, more interested in politics, more likely to follow the news, mm-hmm. more likely to engage with different opinions, and more likely to listen to those whose ideas differ from theirs, right? So I think what's important here is that right, we can't just attribute any positive effects to, you know, quote unquote, civic yeah. education in general, but rather to certain best practices of civic education, right. right? So, you know, a student who only learns about, say, the levels of government or how a bill becomes a law is much less likely to demonstrate the skills of citizenship than is the yep. student who learns about all those things, but who also participates in simulations of democratic processes, spends a good deal of time talking about authentic political issues. And so while those two students um, you know, might check yes on a survey asking them if they receive civic education. In reality, their their experiences are not at all equivalent. Mm-hmm. And those skills and, and habits and best practices, would they carry on for the remainder of, of their lives? So, for example, if they've already been set up with the tools um, and knowledge in high school, they are more likely to take that and continue to vote throughout their adulthood. Um, yeah, and again, the the jury is out on this um, because there are so few yeah. longitudinal studies. Um, it's really hard to track, and you know, and there are so many different factors that can affect why somebody may or may not choose to engage with certain issues. Um, but we are starting to see a little bit of evidence that you know, at least if those skills are built, and if you if they do get the foundation throughout their schooling, they're much more likely to continue that um, further in their lives because it just becomes a habit of their daily right. life. Yeah, um, and so. You know, it, it's also important that, you know, that students aren't introduced to these skills, you know, when they're 17. You know, it's these are habits that need to be built up and refined and and kind of nurtured throughout a life, right? That mm-hmm. we should be preparing young people to be um, participants in a democracy basically as early as possible. No, that, that's a good point. There's a lot of stuff that I, uh, I definitely want to unpack there. And I think just starting on the last thing that you said, We've really been focused in the last conversation on civics education in high school, but I mean, it really starts as early as, you know, in elementary school, I think the Mm -hmm. curriculum starts introducing students to, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, to the political process when they're very young. So that's kind of uh, another another dimension to civics education that we haven't talked about as much on the show. And then also you mentioned the path dependency of, you know, if you start participating, um, you know, in it. In voting, uh, what have you, uh, right when you're 18, you're much more likely to do so throughout your life, as opposed to if you don't start early, um, you're you're le- less likely to do so. And there are some graphs from Statistics Canada that show that um, very clearly how that that's very path dependent. And also the lack <laughs> of research that you mentioned, like lack of longitudinal studies on civics education and its impacts on democracies. That's surprising. And, you know, there's a lot of information complexity here because obviously people develop, um, you know, their attitudes towards democracy from a variety of different sources, not just through school. So it's very complicated to determine cause and effect. But, you know, given the importance of civics education, it's kind of interesting to see how there's like that, that lack of research. And it seems like through civics, you guys are really filling a gap here, or contributing to a gap that almost needs to be filled. Um, And just kind of anecdotally, do you from your experience, like, are there any other countries where we can draw upon uh, the research if there's been, you know, longitudinal studies done in other countries on civics education? What do they tell us? Um, I mean, a lot of what I said is drawn from longitudinal longitudinal studies done in other in other countries. Um, there is some research coming out of the U.S. 
um, that's kind of where where I've been looking. Um, but but even then, a lot of that is is new, and of course, the conditions in the U.S. are very different from the conditions here. Um, you know, we share a lot of things in common, um, but you know, our what you know, our degree of polarization in Canada is very different from from the U.S. Um, we of course have impediments to voting in Canada, but they are nothing like the impediments <laughs> to voting that you see in the U.S. <laughs> right, so it's 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 not quite um, equivalent. Um, but that is where um, a lot of the research is coming that is kind of focusing on what teachers are actually doing in, cl in the classroom and then what is happening to those students afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, just to let our listeners know that we're we're live on air right now. If you have a question, uh, send us a tweet at BYOND underscore headlines, and we'll try and incorporate the question into the show. Also, the CIUTFM spring fundraiser is happening right now. Our donation page is live www.beyondtheheadlines.net slash donate. We're a nonprofit community station. We really rely on the generosity of our listeners uh, to keep up our programming. And we would really appreciate uh, anything you can give beyondtheheadlines.net slash donate. The page is live right now. Um, Thanks, so, Connor. Thank you. <laughs> um, so kind of a, a general question, uh, Dimitri, to follow up with that is like, should civics education be political? As in, um, should the you know should should there be political discussions in a civics classroom? Uh, I think yeah. My short answer to that is yes, absolutely, and not only that, but all classrooms should be political. Mm. Um, but I, I should be clear right what I mean by this because often people conflate political with party politics. Right. Yeah. So when I say that civics education should be political, I mean exactly what you were saying, Connor. I don't mean that they should be partisan or push a political yeah. party's agenda. Instead, I mean that civic civic civics education should be about empowering students to see themselves as active members of a democracy and to think deeply about authentic political issues and questions, right? These really complex questions about how it is that we should live together as mm -hmm. a public. Because um, the classroom is a space where students can practice being political beings. Mm -hmm. People, they can practice being people with their own beliefs and opinions about how to address issues that matter to them. And, and it's a space where the, you know they can test out ideas, they can express their own opinions, they can learn to disagree with others, they can be exposed to different ideas. In a real, in like a relatively low stakes way, yeah. and you know, for a lot of students, the classroom might actually be the only place where they encounter people with experiences and viewpoints different from their own. Mm -hmm. So I think to not take advantage of the affordances of of the classroom would be squandering a huge educational opportunity to prepare yeah. students for democratic life. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think, uh, like you mentioned, just the opportunity to view a diversity of ideas and engage with a diversity of ideas uh, is fundamentally important. And it's not something that I remember uh, receiving as a as a high school student. So I really, really do value that. Would you? Um, what is what is my question? Um, I wanted to turn back actually to the uh, critical thinking in the in the digital space. Sure. You said you do run like a, a a digital literacy program. How do you teach students to use the internet constructively and informatively to be able to discern between the real versus fake information? Sure. So um, this is kind of a, a big question that might require a little bit of unpacking, but um, so. The program we run is called Control F. It's a digital yeah. literacy program right now, primarily for grades seven to 12. Mm -hmm. um, 
And of course, right, digital literacy is this huge umbrella term, uh, but Control F focuses specifically on teaching the habits and skills required to evaluate and assess online information. So empowering teachers to teach students how to distinguish, you know, between true and false, but maybe even more importantly, how to navigate all the, you know, misleading, emotionally charged, agenda-driven information mm-hmm. that falls into that gray area between true and false, which is probably the majority of stuff that we that we encounter. Um, and so... In terms of where that critical thinking piece comes in, uh, critical thinking is such a is such a tricky <laughs> phrase for us because it's become kind of this ubiquitous like social good, but it's kind of it's, it kind of loses some meaning along the way. So I think you know one of the most important things we've learned, especially in terms of engaging with information in the online space, uh, comes to us from Mike Caulfield, who's a digital literacy expert at the University of Washington, who we worked really closely with on our project, um, and. What he says is that, you know, when it comes to online information, critical thinking in the traditional sense is extremely important, but mm-hmm. it only works if we already have the proper context, right? So that when information is coming at us fast and it all kind of looks the same, it's really important to contextualize our information before we start giving it our critical attention. Right. Okay. Um, right. So there's a lot of research out there, including our own, that shows that, you know, the issue that students have with online content isn't that they aren't thinking critically. They mm-hmm. students are actually pretty smart and pretty good at thinking critically. The problem is that they start using their critical thinking skills without having established the context that makes actual critical thinking possible. So mm-hmm. for example, they come across something and start reading it and looking for logical fallacies before they even know what it is they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And before we start critically thinking about something, it helps to know, for example, if the thing we're looking at comes from a news organization with professional standards or an organization known for producing disinformation, right? A real critical thinker would treat each of those items very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, right, a lot of disinformation actually works by asking us to think deeply about questions before we have the context required to, to make sense of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is especially important with students when dealing with information about controversial issues, political issues. Since one thing we've learned is that students are very sensitive to bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important, you know, to teach students how to deal with bias, but also that there is a fundamental difference between something that is intentionally designed to mislead the public and something that is created with the best intent to inform the public. But for example, whose choice of topic might show some political slant, right? right? right. The former is not worth our time. The latter might be, yeah. um, just because something is biased, right? Doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad or not worth engaging with. If that was the case, we'd we have to reject most of what we consume. Mm-hmm. Um, but right, we might think about the bias differently if we know that the information is coming to us from a professional journalist or a subject matter expert or a, po- a political advocacy group, right? So again, first step is always establish the context and then only then can we make use of our critical thinking skills. Um, funnily enough, this is kind of the area where we seem to have a little bit of resistance where some teachers um, like don't want their students to seek out outside information to gain the context instead oh, really? want, want the students to kind of rely on their gut. I don't know. I think for some of them, it almost feels like asking students to leverage the web as a resource feels like cheating. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. So, so sometimes teachers will say, well, I, I just want my students to like look at the content and, and really like think about it and think about whether it makes sense. And, and those strategies backfire again yeah. and again. But I think that it's kind of like a remnants of traditional pedagogy that puts so mm-hmm. much stock in like this idea of the individual intellect. Mm-hmm. But we're in a digital, we're in a digital culture, we're in a network culture, we need to learn how to properly leverage the networked collective intelligence of the web and use it um, for, for proper purposes, right? Like, 
I always think like this would never fly in a math class. Like if I, if you're trying to do like quadratic equations and the teacher's like, well, there's a formula I could give you, but it's way more satisfying to just guess the answer. Like that would never fly. But when it comes to, um, you know, social studies, when it comes to evaluating sources, that's often the, the, the go-to answer. So that's, yeah. that's kind of one battle that we're, we're trying to fight. Yeah. I mean, I can understand the intent. We have things now like chat GBT that mm-hmm. just, you know, so easy to to come up with an answer and and not that that even is the right answer but it's oh it lies so like it it gives so much faulty information i think yeah that the yeah chat come up a lot and i think one thing that we need to communicate is um i think we overestimate it's the quality of its responses yeah because um, it's trained um right by other people who could right. deliberately be giving it false information Right. And yeah. and sometimes its synthesis yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, if you ask it to cite its sources, it often makes up sources that sound like they could be legitimate sources, but they don't actually exist. <laughs> like they might even attribute something to, say, the CBC, but then that article was never published anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we really just want to make sure that we understand the limitations of our technology and, mm-hmm. and learn how to leverage it in ways that work for us. We shouldn't be working for the tech. Yeah. No using ChatGBT for assignments. <laughs> No, um, thank you, uh, Dimitri, for that. Uh, we actually have a, a guest in studio who would like to ask a question. So I'll turn Yay. it over to her. Uh, Samantha, go ahead. Uh, thank you for a great discussion. Um, since uh, the civics curricula are developed by the respective provincial government, as mm. education is a uh, something that falls under the purview of the provincial government, there are, of course, different curricula across the country. I'm curious, which province, in your opinion, has the most comprehensive curriculum, and what could other provinces take from it to enrich their curricula? That's, that's a really good question. And I'm I'm going to cheat a little bit, <laughs> circumvent the question a little bit, but hopefully hopefully in a way that makes sense. So I think, you know, the first thing you have to establish is that by and large, province to province, civic education is seen as the domain of social studies. Um, and, you know, and this might come as a surprise given the tenor of, you know, of this discussion. And but in a lot of provinces, civic education is already very well represented across the social studies curriculum. So in New Brunswick, for example, civics uh, and this is a, this is a model that I would that I would champion. Uh, in New Brunswick, civics is an explicit part of social studies from grades three through ten. Um, in Ontario, right, we have that uh, that individual eight week civics course in grade ten, but the social studies curriculum uh, from the primary levels includes a um, a citizenship education framework that aims to ensure that um, quote every grade and course in social studies, history, and geography. Um, students are given opportunities to learn about what it means to be a responsible, active citizen in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so there are okay. So there are some provinces with some aspects of their social studies curricula that haven't been updated since the '90s, and those don't quite reflect best practices. But instead of picking on those provinces, I do want to address some of these the larger issues of curriculum. Right. So, by and large, I believe that civics should be integrated across the curriculum. So provinces like um, like New Brunswick and Ontario, I think, are are having kind of the right structure. Um, and you know that I think the approach that many provinces are taking of integrating across social studies is a really good start. Um, but, and this is kind of where we always have to take a pause, right? That curriculum documents are ultimately aspirational documents. They outline desired student outcomes, but they don't determine what happens day to day in every classroom, right? So curriculum documents can recommend resources, but they can't mandate methods or best practices. 
Um, moreover, um, and Rebecca spoke to this uh, as well, right? Social, social studies tend to not be prioritized or well-resourced, especially in relation to subjects like the STEM subjects, uh, teachers at the pre-service level and service level. So training to be teachers or while they're teaching are not given a lot of opportunities for formal training in civics education. Teachers across the country have very few opportunities for professional development at all. And the time they do have is, is quickly dwindling. Um, so there is this gap between you know, the aspirations of a beautiful curriculum document and the on the ground reality where the curriculum becomes very difficult to implement. Um, so that's one issue. Um, the other issue though, is that even within the social studies curriculum, uh, civics often becomes optional when as we're as you were talking about with Rebecca, when students arguably need it most, right? As they're preparing to become more independent and have more opportunities for civic agency. So as students enter the upper grades, so 11, 12 across provinces, and they have more choice of what electives to take, um, it becomes very easy to unintentionally opt out of civics. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, provinces typically still require students to take some upper level social studies classes, but at that level, often unless you're taking political science, for example, um, with a lot of those classes, it's often up to the individual teacher on what to prioritize, and there's no guarantee that those courses will contain a strong civic education component. So, for example, I know, you know, in, in Ontario, let's imagine you're taking grade 11 philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, teachers can choose from a variety of topics, one of which is political philosophy. Right. So that, you know, there's a version of that class where students really dig into philosophical questions yeah. at the heart of democracy. But there's another version of that class where students talk about aesthetics instead. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that one is more valuable than the other at all. Just that when it comes to a lot of those upper level classes, what may be a civics class for one student just isn't for another. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then I think the last thing I want to say about um, the curriculum is that on a fundamental level, I think that civics education is much bigger than social studies. Yeah. And it shouldn't just be the job of the social studies teachers to equip students with the skills of of citizenship, right? That the questions of civics are fundamental to every discipline. So, you know, what if we um, imagined a science class or a math class that revolved around civic issues, you know, issues related directly to the communities in which these students live? Um, what if in a technology class, students had to engage, for example, in deep policy discussions about how and whether to regulate AI? Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. so there are some teachers who are absolutely doing this work already. Many teachers, you know, see themselves as civic educators, regardless of discipline. But personally, I'd like to see this as a, as an expectation rather than as an option. Mm -hmm. So, because you know, each, so because teachers had to have that discretion of implementing the curriculum and the methods and ways that they would like. There seems to be kind of a lot of discrepancy across different classes and obviously across different uh uh curriculum uh I, I guess as well yeah I mean if we if we circle this back to the the question of digital literacy yeah. I think this might actually be the you know the best way that we've seen to illustrate this gap between curriculum documents and reality mm -hmm. um so we as part of our, our program did a um a study of students in Canada to see how how they go about you know evaluating sources and claims online and then evaluating our, our program. Um, so you know as Rebecca mentioned, right, all digital literacy is is part of the curriculum. It is is part of all provincial curricula. All provinces have incorporated digital literacy into curricula somewhere, and all provinces have stated that it is a curriculum objective that students learn how to evaluate and assess the reliability of online sources. That is in every provincial curriculum. Yet when we look at what over 2,300 students from across the country actually did when they encountered information online, we saw that they were pretty terrible at evaluating sources. 
And like by terrible, I mean the vast majority were unable to differentiate between content put out by a professional research organization and content put out by a hate group. Um, wow. So high, pretty high stakes. Um, yeah. And in a lot of cases, they were bad at this precisely because they applied outdated skills that they had learned in school. Mm. Um, right. So in this case, we have a curricular expectation, but there's not a consolidation of best practices. Many teachers were tasked with teaching digital literacy, but um, were provided with outdated resources or not given opportunities to have professional development in current evidence-based best practices. And to be clear, right, this isn't the fault of individual teachers. This is the result of a system that requires teachers to teach brand new material, mm -hmm. much of which might be unfamiliar to them, in this case, unfamiliar to a lot of people, um, with very little resourcing and, and support. Um, right. So if you look again at the curriculum documents, in this case, there doesn't appear to be this gap, but in reality, it's 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 quite serious. Mm -hmm. So it's also not even just as much as making sure the students are educated, but it's also giving the opportunities for teachers to continue, you know, learning uh, and developing professionally throughout their time. In their Absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, digital literacy that like changes quickly. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, best practices in civic education, um, this, you know, what those are change over time. There's emerging research coming out this showing that, you know, certain practices work, certain certain practices don't work. And if you're if you're a teacher on the ground trying to teach day to day and you aren't given, you know, proper resourcing or even time to seek out yeah. professional development on your own, um, what are you going to do? Uh, and and it's really we've we've noticed because we run professional development events. And so we've heard from teachers who would love to come to our events and just can't um, just they don't because they don't have the time. It's, it might not be the time in, in some cases, right, there aren't enough supply teachers, for example, oh, so that the yeah. district won't allow them to take a PD day because there is nobody to substitute for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, there, it, there are these kind of larger systemic problems. Um, and when it comes to civic education specifically, because it is, even though it's in the curriculum, because it's not the priority of the curriculum, when mm -hmm. teachers have, for example, um, department-wide or even provincial-wide PD Sometimes other subjects are given priority over it. So they might have to go to, if you're an elementary teacher, they might have to go to PD about, you know, math education, which is important. Um, but civic education, we would argue, is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention, of course, just the the pace at which digital the digital world is changing. And exactly. Constantly at a constant. And it will continue to only just get more complex. Um so, Maria, how much time do we have left on the clock there? Can you see what I, was we have two back? minutes, T minus two minutes, T minus two minutes. OK, I got I, carried I, away I, there. Sorry. No, I mean, it's like uh, it's not not a whole lot of time. I, because we stopped to, you know, conclude the show, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but no, Dimitri, this was this was amazing. I think it was great to have, you know, first uh, Rebecca on the show for like a current on the ground perspective on how civics is being taught in Ontario and then you on the show to talk about like the national programs that mm -hmm. you guys deliver at civics and uh dimitri just for people who are listening dimitri gave us a couple sources so we're gonna leave those on the uh on the episode page on our website www.beyondtheheadlines.net but i think we'll have to uh we'll probably have to wrap end it up conversation there because the automation software is going to take over for yeah. the next show in about a minute uh, but thank you dimitri for being with us thank you so much it was great talking to you Thank you. Thank you. Beyond the headlines, you've been listening to us on CIUT 89.5 FM. That wraps up our show for this week. We were joined by uh, Rebecca and Dimitri. 
Many thanks to them for coming onto the show to discuss the role of civics education and democratic societies. Today's show is produced by myself, Maria Svetkova, along with my co-host, Connor Fraser. If you liked today's episode, please like and review us wherever you're listening. The views expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, CIUT, or the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. If you missed any part of the show, be sure to check out podcasts of all our episodes on our website at www.beyondtheheadlines.net. Thank you so much. See you next week.